In Isaiah, in chapter 6, we read as he came to King Ahaz, Ahaz, the king of Judah, he wasn't right with the Lord. He said that the Lord's going to give you a sign, Ahaz, not just for you, but for every generation. And that is, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in chapter 9 of Isaiah, we read that uh, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And Micah, who was a contemporary of Isaiah, he comes on the scene and he tells the people that this one who is going to be called Emmanuel, this one who's going to be a ruler is going to come out of Bethlehem, Ethrathah. And Bethlehem was just a little village, a little town, only a few miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of, of, of religious activities where the temple was. Uh, it's where all the religious leaders were. And, and Bethlehem was a little place on the outskirts of, uh, of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And Micah tells God's people that the coming Messiah is going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem. And it was small at that time indeed. And that really intrigues me because here is the Son of God, the creator of the universe. I mean, think about it. He wasn't born in the palaces of Rome that was, you know, the headquarters of the mighty Roman Empire at that time. He wasn't born in the holy city of Jerusalem. He's born in this little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. And, and, and here, Micah, he says, you are little Bethlehem among the thousands of Judah. And of course, we see Bethlehem in the scriptures, not only here in the Christmas story, but also as we see Bethlehem that is mentioned in the story of Ruth in the Old Testament, taking place before this time during the days of the judges where Boaz comes and redeems Ruth. And it's a picture of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has come and, and redeemed us to himself. We know that as we read the Old Testament, that David was born in Bethlehem. And David, before this prophecy given, was told that the Messiah, David, is going to come from your descendants. It's going to come uh, from your line, David, and sit upon your throne, and, and the throne of David is going to be established forever. And the people at this time that Jesus is born, they had gone through so much difficulties and captivity and being in bondage, and now they're in bondage to Rome and all the other things that they were experiencing, and they long for the ruler, that Messiah, to come to them. And a thousand years after David and 700 years after Isaiah and Micah, we know that God would fulfill his promise and it would be Paul that would write in Galatians chapter 4 that in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman. Jesus would be born of course under supernatural circumstances, a, a virgin birth just as Isaiah said and when Mary was found with child uh, betrothed to Joseph and the angel would come to Joseph as we read in, in Matthew chapter 1 and, and I want to read some of it to you that the angel probably Gabriel said Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that is Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Mary, of course, as the announcement came to her that she's going to be carrying the Christ child and the angel Gabriel named there in Luke chapter 1. And as he comes to her, he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And really she has, because think about it. Of all the women through history, Mary was chosen. She was the one that is going to carry the Christ child. And so you don't have to be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered, and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so it would be that Christmas morning uh, or Christmas night that we read about in Luke chapter 2 as when it came to that time that Caesar Augustus, as you read at the beginning of chapter 2, we're familiar with it, aren't we? That a decree goes out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. And so all of a sudden, the whole empire is in transition. Uh, they got to heed the command of, of the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And so everybody's traveling, everybody's on the roads. And Joseph, who is from there in Nazareth, his house and lineage is from Bethlehem. He has to travel from Nazareth up north with his espouse wife, Mary, who is, you know, nine months pregnant, 90 miles all the way to the southern part of the country to Bethlehem to register for this new census, new taxes. And it says that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there is no room for them in the end. When I read that, that's such an incredible, incredible story. And I hope that it never loses impact on us because here is Mary, probably only about 16, 17 years old. She's all alone, and she brings forth her firstborn child. And she wraps them in the swaddling clothes. And she lays them in a manger. You know, if she was at home, she would have midwives and other women around her helping her. But it's such a lone story, isn't it? It's a magnificent story. And here the Son of God, the creator of the universe, is born in this little out-of-the-way insignificant place called Bethlehem. Fulfilling what I read to you in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that was told 700 years before that first Christmas night. But we also know that the story continues in Matthew chapter 2, don't we? And that is the, the wise men that come and, and the magi. Now at Christmas, we hear the stories, don't we? We, we sing the songs. We, 
have the manger scenes, how there's three wise men. And even church tradition tells us their names, Melchior and Casper and Belthazar. And I think that tradition says that there are three wise men because we do know from Matthew chapter 2 that they bring three gifts. They're ones that bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. So it makes a nice scene, doesn't it? Three wise men with three gifts walking across the desert, you know, coming to see uh, baby Jesus. And, and as we look at it, we know that they would come not on the night that Jesus was born. Uh, they would come a little bit later because Matthew chapter 2 tells us that they were in a house. He was probably about two years old. And, and so in the back there in the bookstore, uh, we have a manger scene. And so what I did is I took the wise man and I put him on the other side of the bookstore. So if Teresa asks who did this, you can tell him Pastor Jeff did. Because <laughs> they came a little bit later. And... Um, but they would come later, you know, when he was a toddler, when he's about two years old. That's why the decree went out from, from Herod, uh, that two-year-old and unders that, um, of course, uh, as he was terrified and, and, um, and that, uh, you know, it was a, a tragic, tragic, horrible thing that Herod the Great was doing. And as we look at it, these wise men coming from the east, uh, they come to Jerusalem during the days of Herod the Great. There was probably, the scripture says, as I read, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So it's wise men, plural, could have been two, it could have been three, it could have been a dozen, it could have been a hundred wise men. I personally think that there was a number of wise men that came because they got the attention of Herod. And Herod says, I want to see these guys. And what are these guys up to? In verse 2, they come to him as in Jerusalem and said, uh, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So here they are looking for this new king. And, and we're going to read that when Herod hears that, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that at all. He, he's angry. He's upset. He's very troubled at the mention of this one who's going to be the king of Israel, born uh, here. We're looking for him. We want to worship him. You know, there are people that you know and perhaps that are all around us that as our culture gets more antagonistic towards the Lord, they don't want to hear about Christmas. They don't want to hear about Jesus being born in a manger. They don't like the nativity scenes. They don't like Christ being mentioned. And they don't like it that you've traveled to this place to worship him. But as you have come here tonight, you are wise, just like those wise men were, that came and made the effort to be here. Because we know that he's not only the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, he's the king of all kings, isn't he? He's the Lord of all lords, and that's why we're here. We're here to, to worship him. Now, a little background on these magi, who they were. They were wise men. They were not kings. They're magis, where we get our word magicians. They were from the east. They were astrologers studying the stars to determine the future. They would also interpret dreams. Uh, wise men in the eastern culture and, and ancient days were known for two things. 
They would look at the stars and interpret dreams. And they also very well could be coming from that area from the east, that area that was known as Babylon. Now, some Bible scholars believe that they are descendants of Daniel's school in Babylon. And if any of us are familiar with the book of Daniel, uh, we know that the Magi, they were high-ranking officials in the court of uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, when he was taken captive from Judah, taken back to Babylon after Micah gives that prophecy, that he would be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. Well, Daniel ends up saving the wise men of Babylon in Daniel chapter 2. Many of you are familiar with the passage as Nebuchadnezzar was bothered with this dream. He, he comes to the to wise men of Babylon. He says, listen, tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And if you don't, you're in big trouble. Well, they couldn't do that. So Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, I will tell you the dream, and I'll give you the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel had a prayer meeting that night with his friends. The Lord revealed the dream. Nebuchadnezzar had the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar was amazed by it. So he would place uh, Daniel in a place of prominence in the empire. And no doubt these wise men would be familiar with the prophecies of Daniel as Daniel was there for a long time during his 70 years of captivity. And he's writing about in the book of Daniel, the ancient of days, how he would come and all the nations and languages and peoples would serve him. Daniel chapter 7. And that when the command is given to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, that after 69 weeks passed, that there would become a Messiah, the prince, as Daniel chapter 9. And perhaps these magi were watching the stars about this time, knowing that the king of the Jews would be coming soon. They followed his star to Jerusalem. Others have suggested that perhaps they were familiar also with the prophecies of Balaam. You read about Balaam, who was from the east. He prophesied in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter, that is a ruler, shall come out of Israel. Now, much has been written about the star of Bethlehem. Some say that it could have been a conjunction of planets, maybe a meteor or a comet, but they saw the star and they followed it. And I love the way that the Lord speaks because these magis were into stars so he used the star to draw them to the sun, that is the son of God. The shepherds that are out there in the field on the night that Jesus was born, watching over their sheep, we know that the Lord sends them a, a host of angels to tell them that the Lamb of God has been born. And, and as we read that in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flock by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, they bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And maybe perhaps there's somebody that's here tonight on this Christmas Eve that you're afraid. You're afraid this Christmas season. You're afraid what the New Year's going to bring. You, you're afraid because of the circumstances or trials or difficulties that you're facing. And I just want to say that the message that was given to Joseph was don't be afraid. The message was given to Mary, don't be afraid. The very first message of the birth of Jesus was don't be afraid. Because born unto you in the city of David as Savior, who is Christ the Lord, I bring you great joys uh, which will be to all people. We have hope 
And we have the Lord, a son that was given to you and to me. And he's saying to you tonight, you don't have to be afraid because I am your hope and I am with you. And I have promises for you that you can stand on. Draw close to me. Look to me. And we see here that these magi follow his star, and they're saying we have come to worship him. And as we continue, as you read in the chapter, they didn't come to get something from him. After all, he's just a a baby, a toddler at this point. They're not coming to manipulate or get something from him, but they're coming because of who he is. We come to this place here tonight. Why? We come to worship him because of who he is. He's the king of kings. He's the creator of all things. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the bright and the morning star. He is everything that we need. And as we grow in the understanding of who he is, you can't help but come and worship him. For thou, O Lord, are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Amen. And as you continue reading in Matthew chapter 2, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So I've mentioned that that he was troubled by this group of magi and what they said shook him up. He's hearing Herod about a king being born and and, uh, called the king of the Jews. Uh, He was very paranoid. Uh, Maybe perhaps someone that the nation of Israel could really rally around. He's threatened by that. And as he's troubled, Jerusalem was troubled because they knew that when Herod was troubled, that the ramifications could be very terrible and terrifying, which they were. And so verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the scribes, what they do is Herod saying, where is this Messiah, this ruler, supposed to be born? And they point to Micah chapter 5 that we read at the beginning of the service here tonight. And they said, that's what Micah said, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, only a few miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem, again, the city where David was born. And here's the thing that really intrigues me, and I know I've said this before, but it really amazes me. And and when we consider it, here are the chief priests and the scribes. They were the religious leaders. They boasted they knew the scriptures. They copied the scriptures. They interpreted the scriptures. And they were aware of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. They knew that he would be born in Bethlehem, only a few miles from Jerusalem, Matter of fact, when we were in Jerusalem last month at the beginning of November, we stayed at a place, the Ramat Rachel, uh, named after Rachel. Rachel, who was buried in Bethlehem, the, the wife of Jacob. And as you're there at this beautiful place on the outskirts of Jerusalem, you can look over and you can see the hills of Bethlehem right across the road. And you can see the shepherd's fields. And it's very wonderful to, to stand there and think that The Son of God was born in that little place, that little insignificant place 2,000 years ago. And here the scribes, the chief priests, the religious leaders, they knew the prophecies. They knew what the scripture says. They were to be looking for the Messiah, but yet they it didn't even travel a few miles to check it out. And here are these wise men, and they were wise indeed, that expended the time and the energy to seek the Lord. 
and they came to worship him, just as you come here and made the journey to this place here tonight. And as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the angel said that night that Jesus was born, that I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. For born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We come to worship him. We come because Jesus, he came for a purpose. He came for a purpose, even as Matthew tells us that the angel would say to Joseph, that Joseph, that don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is born in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, uh, Yahshua. That is, the Lord thy salvation is what Yahshua means. And he's going to save his people from their sins. Because the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be saved of sin. Because we've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all fallen short is what the Bible says. And will you understand this? That Jesus came to this world, a son is given to give us hope. And it's a living hope. As we recognize that I need to be forgiven. Because here's the thing. That you may be considered a good person or you're doing your best to provide for your family, uh, to minister to them, to, to do whatever that, that we need to do in life. But here's the thing. None of us are good enough. And that's why Jesus came. He came because he is the son of God that lived a perfect life. And he went to a cross to die for you, for your sins. And when he was on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, I've done the work. I paid the price. And as he died on the cross, he did, he took your sins upon himself. And when he breathed his last, he was put into a tomb. He rose again after three days. And he proved that he is the son of God that conquers sin and death. And you see, the greatest gift is available for you. That is the gift of salvation. You're going to be going home with family and, and wherever with friends and many of you are going to be opening up gifts tonight and tomorrow. But the greatest gift is a free gift that is available, and that is eternal life if you just call upon the name of the Lord, as you just come in faith. And you know what? I've been saying this repeatedly lately because the Lord has really put this on my heart, that the invitation that he gives to you is always to come. Just as those wise men came, you come to him tonight if you've never done that in your heart. And call out to him. And the free gift, the greatest gift is available for you sincerely as you ask for forgiveness and realize that Jesus is the son of God who came for you and died for you and loves you so much. That's why he came. But the other thing, too, that Bethlehem was a place of trouble and turmoil. Still is today. Unimpressive little city. But you know what comforts me? That we come to this place as we journey. But I know that Jesus, that he will come to my life, no matter how troubled it is, or how much turmoil I may be going through, or how unimpressive that, that the world feels towards me or others. Jesus came for you, specifically. And his promises are true for you. And even as Herod was troubled in his heart, for us tonight, as we sing those songs, as we read the cards about peace and goodwill towards men and joy and all of that, 
I want to remind you, it comes from knowing him and loving him. It comes by having that personal relationship with him. And what my prayer is for all of you is not only that you know him and as you come to him for salvation, but you would grow to know him in your relationship with him. Because the world is looking for joy and peace in so many different ways. The world is trouble. The world is screaming, trouble. The world's going to end in 12 years, right? That's what we're hearing. Listen, come to Prophecy Update. The world's not going to end in 12 years. Guarantee it, because that's what my Bible says. But I do know this, that whatever it is that we face this Christmas season and in 2020, that the Lord wants to work exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And he's saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Will you come? Learn of him. Grow in him. Learn and grow in the grace, in the joy, in the peace of the Lord. That's my prayer for you this Christmas season and as we enter into 2020. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time, for this Christmas season, this message. I thank you for all who are here, all the children that are here. And I just pray for blessing. Lord, I pray for blessing with family and friends this Christmas season. And as we once again are reminded of this Christmas story, how magnificent it is. I just want to pray for, if you're here, just another minute, and then, and then we're going to finish up. But as we do come here, as you travel here, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, will you do that right now? He loves you. You can do it quietly, sincerely where you're at. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I know that I've sinned and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you did come for a purpose and that's to die for me personally, to take my sins upon yourself, forgive me, that you've made atonement for my sins on that cross and you're alive and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I come right now to recognize my need to be forgiven and that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and I just thank you for that free gift of salvation as I now give my life to you and call out to you. I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for this Christmas, the gift that you've given to me of being part of the family of God, of eternal life and right relationship with you and with the Father. I thank you for coming for me to give me a living hope Father, I pray for all of us that we would just, Lord, know this, that truly that we can have peace and goodwill and joy that comes through knowing you and walking with you and enjoying you in every way. Bless everyone's Christmas here as we enter into the new year. May we just continue to grow in the love and grace of Jesus Christ in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, would you please stand and get your candles ready? We're going to sing Silent Night, so we're going to start lighting the candles. Kids, you can turn on your tea lights, okay? Okay.